This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello, welcome to Maddox on the Mic. Today on the Future of Aged Care podcast, we'll be talking about what we see as key elements of good provider governance. It follows on from our last podcast that discussed the recommendations made by the Royal Commission regarding provider governance. My name is Angela Wood and I'm a partner in the Maddox Healthcare team. Joining me today are Lucille Scomazon, a partner in our healthcare team and healthcare sector leader, and Elizabeth Blanche and Alexandra Adams, both senior associates in our healthcare team. Welcome to each of you. As a first question, Lucille, from the perspective of a legal advisor to aged care clients, what do you see as some of the key elements of good provider governance? So this was an issue that was given a fair amount of attention during one of the case studies that examined substandard care. It was clear from that case study that it's the board that is responsible for creating a culture for staff that's proactive in nature with respect to care and that encourages reporting and accountability. Secondly, I think another element of good provider governance is open communication, which is something that we've touched on already in our conversation today. Open communication between the board, management and staff is critical to ensuring that an aged care organisation fosters a culture of accountability, that complaints are effectively managed and that the board is kept informed with an appropriate level of detail to enable testing and interrogation of the adequacy of key systems and processes. Yeah, I agree with that, Lucille, and I'd I'd add that this is something that was considered in some detail um, at the Hobart hearing. Uh, it was made very clear that even where there are reasonably robust reporting systems and processes in place at the management level, uh, in some organisation there's a bit of a lack of understanding about what issues then need to be escalated to the governing body or to the board. And I think this is something we think boards need to consider carefully to make sure that systemic issues and risks are being appropriately documented and reported, not only, as I said, at the management level, um, but also up to the governing body. Uh, And it's important um, to ensure that the board understands what issues have become systemic issues or key issues. Um, And it's important to give the board the opportunity to be asking management uh, the right questions. And just another element I'd add is that it's really important for aged care operators to make sure that they have the right people on their boards. The ASX corporate governance principles provide the high watermark of what a well-constituted board looks like, which even those aged care providers that aren't ASX to when considering how to best constitute their board. From an aged care perspective, what has been clear from the Royal Commission is that having a board member with clinical expertise is really important and can greatly enhance the effectiveness of the board. What are you saying, Elizabeth? I agree with the points that you both have made and I'd probably just add two more elements that I think um, contribute to good provider governance. So the first um, is an effective complaints handling process and I know we've spoken a bit about that Uh, earlier in our conversation today in the context of the recommendations. So the Royal Commission heard a significant amount of evidence from care recipients and their families about complaints being mishandled and mismanaged. And 
what we saw was that well-governed aged care organisations have effective complaints management systems that, are, that ensure matters are escalated where necessary, effective solutions are implemented to prevent recurrence, and that families and care recipients are shown respect and care throughout that whole complaints process. And it's really important that complaints um, you know, are seen, are considered in detail, but that they're also seen or viewed as an opportunity for continuous improvement. And the second element of good provider governance that I'd add um, is a routine organisation-wide education program. So a program of training is critical to ensuring that any organisation is effectively governed, not just aged care organisations. And training should not only be implemented at a management and facility sort of staff level, but also all the way up um, at a board or governing body level. And it's essential that directors of aged care operators understand the regulatory landscape and the key issues that are faced at a facility level to ensure that they're not only asking questions, but as I said previously, they're asking the right questions of management. Thank you all for sharing those key elements of good provider governance with us. Today, we've really only been able to touch on the key recommendations of the Royal Commission in relation to provider governance, but there were, of course, a range of other themes that arose during the hearings that dealt with this subject matter and a number of the case studies focused on these issues. I'm just wondering whether there are any other reflections you would like to make on what you saw or heard during the hearings or perhaps some advice you would give to boards when it comes to implementing some of the learnings from the Royal Commission. Lucille, perhaps we can, um, I can jump to you first off. Sure, thanks, Angela. Look, I think there's a couple of elements to this at least. And, you know, in addition to all of the um, things that go to good, I guess, hygiene, like ensuring that your constitutions, your policy, your policies and your board charters and things like that have been reviewed and are up to date and place the appropriate uh, focus on providing quality and safe care. There's also some questions that uh, board members can ask of themselves or members of the governing body can ask of themselves. And they're pretty um, simple things like, am I confident that we have the right skills mix on our board? Is there somebody on the board with clinical skills uh, and skills that are current and relevant to the services that we as an organisation provide. Do we invite key executives and members of the management team to our board meetings? Are they in the boardroom and are they part of the discussion and encouraged to be part of that discussion? Thirdly, if you're a board member, are you confident that if you attended an accreditation visit, you'd be able to explain your organisation's governance arrangements as a member of the governing body and that you would be able to satisfy the assessors that your organisation has the requisite systems in place to support good governance and safe and quality care. And finally, thinking about the culture of your organisation, does it support the provision of safe and quality care? I think for me, one of the comments that council assisting made um, in providing their recommendations to the commissioners or submissions to the commissioners was that a provider's most important objective should be to enhance the well-being of older people pro by providing them with safe and high quality care and that governance arrangements should include systems to achieve that primary objective. So it really comes back to, to that principle itself, I think. Thanks, Lucille. I think that's an interesting way to wrap up your comments by focusing on that very high-level principle 
that really needs to permeate from the top down right through the organisation as a whole. Alexandra, do you have any final remarks that you'd like to make? Thanks, Angela. Changing organisational culture and governance is obviously not the, it's not the easiest thing to regulate and using detailed prescriptive rules to regulate these areas could easily result in the regulation becoming a bit of a box exercise, which is unlikely to result in any real lasting change in the industry. But then on the other hand, principles-based regulation where high-level, broadly stated rules are enunciated can be a challenge for enforcement and also for compliance because it's what it takes to comply with a particular principle. I think keeping that in mind, for boards that are looking to prepare for these changes, I think they should be looking at the outcomes that the Royal Commission was seeking to achieve with its recommendations, things like board accountability, better organisational culture and a people-first approach, and seek to identify how their governance arrangements could better support objectives. Given the diversity of providers in the space, you know, you've got um, for-profit, not-for-profit, faith-based, um, and also the, um, the rural and regional providers, what this looks like for an individual provider is going to be really different um, across the industry, I think. That's a really good point, Alexandra. Thanks for that. I think the, I agree that there's always a temptation for the drafters of legislation to be prescriptive, but in looking to its overarching role in providing a strategy for an organisation, the boards themselves should be best placed to understand the needs of their organisations. What about you, Elizabeth? Do you have any final remarks? Yes, I, I suppose my final remarks really build on what Lucille and Alexandra have both said. So from my perspective, I think it's worth, again, emphasising the importance of good leadership and good workplace culture. Um, in ensuring uh, that providers are well governed um, and are providing high quality and safe care. Workplace culture was a key issue that was raised in the hearings, as we've mentioned today. And it was clear that there is sometimes uh, a lack of accountability when things go wrong and that poor workplace culture directly impacts on the quality of care provided. So in particular, it was noted uh, that it was deficiencies in the governance and leadership of some approved providers that did directly result in these quality and safety failures. And I think some of the commentary from Commissioner Briggs during the final hearing of the Royal Commission is particularly interesting. She commented that one of the great challenges of the aged care system is uh, the government doesn't run the system nor deliver the services itself necessarily. So she said that the government can regulate as Alexandra mentioned, it can set standards and it can change institutional arrangements, but only those delivering the services can change the day-to-day -day approach to the, to the delivery of care. And Commissioner Briggs also commented that the real value add comes from leadership uh, and culture on the ground in every service. Thanks, Elizabeth. I think that's a really um, positive and interesting note to wrap up on. I think that's all we've got time for. We hope you enjoyed the episode and learnt something new. If you have any questions, please head over to the Maddox website where you can get in touch with me or any member of our healthcare team. Thanks very much for listening. Please look out for our upcoming podcasts on the Future of Aged Care podcasts. If you like this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.